Anyway, let's go to stage three. So then we need to talk about sin. And uh, before you talk about different types and who falls under what, we need to define what sin is. When you talk about the life after death, you know, saying that people dream, there are people who come back from heaven and hell and talk about this experience of uh, life after death, um, then you wonder, you know, who's going to go, how does it, how uh, do you define someone to uh, go to he- heaven while the other goes to hell? Uh, how do you determine? How do you judge? What is the definition? So the definition or the deciding factor is whether you have sin or not. So if you have sin, you go to hell. You don't have sin, you go to heaven. Uh, but, of course, um, the concept of heaven and hell, good or evil, uh, is not just exclusive uh, to Christians, but it's um, also common for religions and also for those who are not religious. Um, so if you ask someone, um, if you ask someone, you know, most people think that way. If you do good, if you are a good person, if you live uh, as a good person, good neighbor, good friend, good um, citizen, good employee, uh, then you would go somewhere good after you die. So this idea of retribution, you get what you deserve. You know that saying, right? You get what you deserve is if you do evil, if you hurt other people, if you are a bad person, um, you live wickedly like an evil person, then you go to hell where um, uh, you deserve to be. So this sort of general assumption of retribution is shared by religious people, uh, by uh, people who insist on ethics and morals um, in society in general. But if but even then, it's not uh, specific. You know, you have to really understand the concept of sin for you to be uh, certain about the concept of heaven and hell. Because if you are certain about heaven and hell, then you can have the assurance of uh, salvation to go to heaven uh, uh, and not hell. So it all starts from sin. So you have to understand sin for, for you to understand about heaven and hell, to really believe that they exist and that you eventually know uh, you, you know when you, where you will eventually go um, after you die. Um, before we talk about the biblical definition of sin, we need to talk about the general concept of sin, how it's defined by religions, societies, and morals. So the first um, definition that we will go over, so there are views. So views, uh, first views that we're going to uh, look at is religious, religious view. How do religions define sin? Well, the basis of their definition is from doctrines. So they have doctrines. Religions are founded on doctrines. They insist on doctrines. They teach based on doctrines. And their definition is greed. Because uh, you are greedy, you want more things. You want more of other people's things. So you either covet, you envy, you're jealous, or you even steal, even kill. So uh, all these behaviors and hearts derive from greed. So whether um, they are Buddhists or Catholics or Muslims or Jews, uh, their objective is to get rid of greed. They want to get rid of greed. How are they going to get rid of greed? By destroying yourself, to kill yourself, to empty uh, yourself. So self-denial, separation from the world. So uh, Buddhists go to high mountains, to temples, uh, priests or, or nuns go to, uh, you know, uh, monasteries up in the mountains. Uh, they uh, retreat themselves from the world so that they are not tempted to uh, live uh, based on the cravings uh, that they want to fight off. 
So Buddhists see uh, sin uh, as coming from cravings. You know, like when you are uh, low on sugar level, then you crave sugar. You crave chocolate. And women, you know what I'm talking about. We crave chocolate. And when you're tired, you need that extra boost. So you have craving. Or sometimes, like, I feel sometimes I need salt because I'm so sensitive. Like, because I sweat a lot. I think that's why. I lose a lot of uh, salt, and I feel like I need salt. So that's why you drink, like, Gatorade or those uh, sport drinks. So uh, you have craving because you you are kind of imbalanced. Your body's imbalanced. So whatever goes out, you need to fill in. Uh, And that's how Buddhists or religious people in general uh, feel uh, about sin. Cravings. Because they crave um, women. Or they crave um, worldly uh, pleasures, lusts, crave uh, meat, uh, red meat, or any meat, uh, which is based on killing. Therefore, you can kill somebody who is reincarnated, which could be your father, your king. So they don't want to deal with any of that. So they don't uh, eat any meat at all. So they want to deny themselves of any kinds of pleasure, eating, physical, sexual, worldly, political, social, you name it, all of it, they want to get rid of, uh, of, of it. So they fast, they meditate, they beat themselves. You know, they beat themselves because pleasure, uh, uh, cravings come from your body. These senses, your five senses, crave things for you to sin. You have evil thoughts, and you actually will do something evil. So they want to get rid of it at the root by beating their bodies and uh, cutting themselves from the world. Now, uh, then there are other views that are social or society-based views. They come from ethics. And they... Uh, and Society defines sin as the destruction of the ethical or social order. So uh, crime is breaking or destroying order in society. Law and order, right? The TV show, um, which is based on the legal system, you know, I mean, and it's particular to New York City, but uh, law enforcement to judicial systems to uh, victims, perpetrators, all these parties are all involved. Um, so anyone who breaks social order or damages it uh, is contained or uh, deterred for, uh, for future violations um, and because that's, what they're de- uh, that's how they're defining sin. So the solution is to uh, live harmoniously, Right? So they can incarcerate them, lock them up in prison for a while, and then they will uh, uh, have programs to rehabilitate these uh, former inmates. So they will readjust to society. They have programs to, uh, for them to socialize, re-social, be re-socialized, because their idea is if we have harmony, if we have unity, if we have coexistence, then we will... Uh, will be okay. We will get rid of sort of this sin uh, based on societal view. And then third is individual. Individual view of sin, which is everyone has this. Everyone has some conscience. We have this idea of what is right and what is wrong, what is wrong and that's called morals. And morals, based on morals, individuals define sin as uh, the corruption of the heart or the character. So your heart becomes evil, and that's sin. That's, that's what individuals, or how individuals define sin. 
So it derives from your heart. Your heart goes bad. It, it, it's changed. So it's evil. So that's why you do all these other uh, bad things. So how do you prevent that? How do you um, resolve that? By self, uh, through self-correction. So cultivation, cultivation sounds more like gardening or farming, but I mean education, you know, education or culture, becoming cultured uh, and learning, um, learning things, you know, learning teachings. And through that, they can meditate, they can correct, um, they can cut off, cut off sin. So the common theme in these definitions, they are, uh, they're slightly different, but they have strong common uh, characteristics. Uh, first, uh, they define sin uh, similarly in the sense they come from the heart. It comes from the man. It comes from the human heart and human body. Who's, whose fault is it? It's your fault. It comes from you. Right? So that's the common uh, theme. And, uh, so... For from that, you, you, what's implied is that uh, what's the, how, why do we have sin? Why do you sin? Well, the, what's the problem with sin? Well, the problem is you're born as a man. That's the problem, right? If you're born as man, then you sin because sin comes from your heart, your body. And in this definition, therefore, there is no enemy. There is no enemy uh, that you need to fight against. There is no origin of sin. There's really no beginning, the source of sin. Everyone is saying that it's your heart. Right? So deep, 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 it's your heart. You need to correct your heart. But it really doesn't answer the question of how did that get into the heart? You know, who put it in there? Right? Somebody must have put it in there. Someone must have seeded it in there. But these definitions don't get at that. So we need to then look at the Bible. What does the Bible say? Uh, the Bible says that sin is the separation from God. So that's the biblical definition, which is entirely different uh, from this. You know, if the, if the definition of sin is the separation from God, then the next thing that you should ask logically is, who separated us from God? Who can separate us from God? Then the answer would be the devil, the, the separator, the destroyer. The devil. So the devil uh, puts a wedge between the two parties, a wedge. So uh, his name, the devil itself, means Holt Diabolos. Um, so Holt Diabolos means to uh, go through and destroy. So to say uh, we are separated from God, it doesn't mean that we separate ourselves from God. Then we have no answer, no cure. But uh, the Bible points to an origin that is different from us, from our hearts. And that's Ho Diabolus, the devil. The devil is the one who separates us from God. Therefore, who, uh, therefore he destroys us um, from, uh, through the state. So sin is the state of being separated from God. Now, why is it that we cannot be separated from God? Why do we have to stay together with God, to be attached with God? Uh, it's because even though uh, Adam was made as a living being, man was made as a living being, and has a function to live, he has no ability to live on his own. I think I talked about this last week. So we being spiritual beings, we can live. We have the function to live or die. Uh, but if we don't do something about living, we die. Uh, and the way we live is 
Do you remember last night's sermon is to, by the word of God, by eating the word, we live. So our relationship with God is maintained by the food, which is the word. God does not need us, but we need him. The creator does not need anything, but creation does. We are created. We are creation. We need God and we need food. So we need to live attached to him uh, by receiving the word of God, by saying amen to his command. Let's go to John 12, uh, 15. Sorry, I didn't write that. John 12, 15. I know that his command leads to eternal life, so whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. 1250, John? 50, 50. that's what I said, 1250. Read that again. I know that his command leads to eternal life, so whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. So how do we receive eternal life? We receive eternal life through the word. And the way we receive the word is not eat the paper, sheets of paper in the Bible, but we hear, and not just hear, but we live by it. We are governed by the word. We are dominated by the word. We are driven by the word, and we obey the word. We live according to the word, and we speak the word. That's how we eat the word, and that's how we live. So rejecting the word of God is therefore sin, and result of sin is death. Now let's look at the origin of sin more specifically. So we talked about the origin of sin being the devil. This is unique to Christianity, to the Bible. Like I said, most religions have no enemy yourself. You are your enemy, right? We are our own enemies. But the reason why we become our own enemies is there is somebody who is instigating, somebody who is stimulating us to kill ourselves, right, spiritually. Uh, And that's the devil. He is the origin. Oh, that's where I put it. Okay, number one, the devil, and he's same. Uh, being a Satan, and he is uh, he is the origin of sin because he sinned from the beginning. He sinned from the beginning. He sinned before the world, this world was made. Before man was made, he had already sinned. So he sinned uh, beginning uh, before the creation of the world, before time began. So we're going to look at. Uh, how he did that. So in the spiritual heaven, he was first to commit sin, and uh, that's, what, that's what Isaiah 14, 12 to 15 says. Go to 1 John 3, 8. 1 John 3, 8. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The re- reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's Work. So there it says, the devil has been sinning from the beginning. To save time, we won't go over Isaiah 14. But in Isaiah 14, it describes a morning star that fell, a rebellious angel who wanted to be like God. As a result, God kicked him out of the spiritual heaven, created, created Hades, and contained him in here until the great judgment day. So he, was the, he, he, um, he sinned in the spiritual heaven because the spiritual heaven uh, is the first creation, we call it, we call him the first to commit. That was the first sin. And second, after uh, the material heaven was made and the Garden of Eden was made and man and, and, and woman were placed, he sinned there as well. Uh, in John eight forty four, Jesus said, your father is the devil. Your father, the devil, is a liar. So he is the father of lies. How did the devil lie in the garden? What did he say? 
you will not surely die. Even if you eat the fruit, it's okay. Eve said, if I eat of it, if we eat of it, he said, we will surely die. But uh, the serpent says, no, you will not surely die. Uh, so he lied to her. When was that proven? At the cross, when Jesus died, the last Adam died, it was proven that the word of God is true. Because Adam ate, Adam died. Because the first Adam ate, the last Adam uh, died. So that, that proved the word of God is true, and the devil is therefore the father of lies. Then in the, outside the garden, what was the first uh, sin that was committed outside the garden? Murder, Cain's murder, right? That's what we think. Cain is the one who committed the first murder. Yet in 1 John 3, 12, it said, Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. So there, it actually says, uh, even though Cain is the one who killed, the cause was the devil. The, the devil is the one who killed uh, Abel. So behind uh, all these great sort of first sins, uh, is the devil. The devil is the cause, the origin, the beginning of sin. Furthermore, he is sin itself. Right? So God defines the devil as sin itself. It began with him. He is sin. And we're going to look a little bit more uh, in detail of what he did. Number two, the corruption of Satan. Actually, let's read that together. Isaiah 14, 12, 15. And Ezekiel 28. They all uh, describe uh, the beginning of sin, where sin emerged. So in uh, Isaiah 14, 12 to 15. How you have fallen from heaven, a morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly and the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. Uh, also go to Ezekiel 28, 12 to 17. Ezekiel 28. Son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, This is what the sovereign Lord says. You were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, in the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you, ruby, topaz, and emerald, chrysolite, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through you widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God and I expelled you, O guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. So, uh, of course, uh, most people reading the Bible, uh, not knowing the will of God, uh, and they could be theologians, pastors, whoever they are, Christians or not, they take these both passages as referring to some historical figure. So, for example, here, uh, because it says a lament concerning the king of Tyre, uh, people interpret Ezekiel 28 here, this passage is about 
this passage being about a king, uh, that this was about his story, uh, and Isaiah 14 being a morning star, son of the dawn, son of the dawn, again, referring to some, this is sort of a figure of speech, just to express someone in this way, uh, they, uh, they interpret it. But when we know the will of God and when we put these two passages together, we are hearing, we're reading about an angel, an archangel who was made with talent and beauty to serve God, to worship him uh, as his servant. But one day he became proud, as we read just here, proud on account of his beauty, uh, of his beauty and his wisdom. Um, and he was tempted and, and he fell for it, which was to say, I will ascend myself above the thrones, uh, above, uh, unto the throne of the Most High, above the stars of God. So when he said that in Isaiah 14, above the stars of God, he was referring to not stars, but angels. Angels, to be above angels. Who is above angels? God, the creator. So he's saying, I'm going to be the creator himself. I'm going to be God. And that was the moment he sinned. All right? Uh, so these two passages are very, very important in terms of under, understanding about uh, where the devil began. So now we're going to look at um, the different titles that uh, we, the Bible uses to refer to the same being. We know him as the devil, but he was not always called the devil. He's not always referred to as the devil. In the beginning, he's not called the devil, right? For example, he was Luciel. Now, even though that name does not appear in the current translation uh, that we are looking at, at some point, that name was mentioned uh, as we see a morning star, right? So a brilliant, a luminescent, uh, bright angel. And then Lucifer or Lucifer, uh, uh, also from that sentence, O morning star, light bringer, somebody who brings light. Um, but uh, these words disappear from the Bible. Yet we have to take that all into, uh, into account and look at all of them, what they mean, why we need to know all of all these different titles, and, why, uh, and how they refer to, to the same being, the devil. So we're going to look at this one big chart. So these are different titles. Um, we don't want to call them different names because names tend to uh, be associated with uh, beings, right? So you tend to think of one, one name per one person, one being. Then you think it's more than one devil. There's only one devil. Uh, but he's called different things, so we call it title. That's the best thing we can come up with. So title, uh, re reference. You know, he's a refer so he's referred to different, uh, referred as different title at different times because he does different things. That's what I'm trying to say. Okay, let's look at the title. It's a big, big table. All right, so first he's called Luciel when he's made as an angel. As you know, L, any names that ends with L refers to God with small g or godly being like an angel. Luciel, Gabriel, Michael. Raphael, uh, Cadmiel, there's a brother named Cadmiel. His full name is Cat. We call him Cat, but his name is Cadmiel. So these are names of angels. So Luciel is, was an angel, and not just an angel, but an archangel. I'm missing that there. An, arc of, uh, an archangel. So an archangel refers to being sort of a... More than a squad leader. I wouldn't call him a squad leader, but maybe a division. I don't know, division, head of a division. So he, he is in charge of many angels, an archangel. And he's named Luciel because he's bright, he's, uh, he's uh, luminescent. He's sort of, he gives, he, he, he seems to give off light, but no creature has light on its own. Its job is to reflect the light of God, the glory of God. 
yet he was that beautiful. So his name is Luciel. But when he rebels against God um, in, a, uh, in Isaiah 14, 12 to 15, he says to himself, I'm going to be like God. I'm going to stop doing my job. I'm going to start doing his job. He didn't throw a bomb. He didn't go into suicide bomber and blow himself up in the, in the throne or start shooting at the throne or throw a hand grenade. He didn't do any of that. He just stopped doing his job, which was to praise God. Now, you might think, oh, that's not fair. What do you mean it's not fair? We are, it's not fair for us to be saved, right? But that's how God made angels. One time sin, that's it. They change completely. So that's what happened to Luciel. Luciel is then called um, Lucifer or Satan. What happened to this typo? I think I'm missing a step. So after Luciel should be Lucifer. I don't know what happened. All right, so Luciel, Lucifer, after he sinned. You can add that in there, and then you can add Satan. So Satan, when he's called Satan, it means rebel. He's a rebel. Uh, he's an enemy of God. He left his proper domain. So he's no longer called Luciel or even Lucifer. Rather, he is Satan because Satan refers to the enemy of God, the one who rebelled against God, and that's his uh, status when he rebels against God. When it's against God, he's called Satan. So Lucifer is the son of the dawn, the evil king, but um, in Logos, I went over with you, the Greek definition and the Latin definition, uh, lux uh, ferre, uh, which is to bring light. So Lucifer is actually light bringer, light bringer, someone who brings light who steals light, who takes light, right? So he's not, even though he's not a light, uh, source of light, he uh, tried to do that, and that's the name Lucifer. Uh, and then once he's thrown out of the uh, spiritual heaven into Hades, so God makes Hades, the, uh, the universe, in order for him to contain the fallen angel, angels rather, uh, then he is called the ruler of darkness because the universe is dark. So he is contained in Hades. He is in the universe. Ephesians 2, 2 says the prince of the air. Isaiah 14, 15, it says depths of the pit, the grave. And Jude 6 uh, uh, talks about the, uh, the uh, chains. Chains, yeah. So gloomy dungeons or chains, one of those things. So Jude 6 or 2 Peter 2, 4, both of them refer to gloomy dungeons or chains, everlasting chains, keeping them locked in the universe. So he becomes a ruler at that point. So what's interesting is up to Lucifer, Lucy, uh, Satan and Lucifer are illegitimate status. They are illegitimate. They're illegal. Okay. But once um, uh, Satan is contained and he inside the, uh, the universe, he's called the ruler of darkness. He's not illegal. He's now legal. God gives him a legal status. As you know, that's part of God's will, right? In second semester of Logos, God gives him that authority so that another authority can come and destroy him, right? So anyway, so he's given the title, the ruler of darkness, the ruler of the air. After man is created, then he is called the devil because his job is then to separate men from separate man from God and later men from God, and he is the father of lies. So he causes the original sin, Original sin, referring to Adam's sin. So he is called the devil. Same guy, but doing different things at different times, he is referred to uh, as these uh, titles. 
Then after man sins, sin enters and death enters, he's still the devil. But he has a new title, and that's the ruler of death, as Hebrews chapter 2, uh, verse 15, 14, 15 um, says. Okay? So he deceived Adam to sin, and Adam sins, uh, and death enters Adam, therefore all men, as Romans 5.12 says, through one man enters sin, death to all, then he becomes the ruler of death. And now, um, which is after Jesus uh, died at the cross and, sh- and, and condemned him of his sin at the cross, uh, he is no longer the ruler. Uh, I'm sorry, so I- I'm getting ahead of myself. So here he is still the God of the world, the prince of the world. So when Jesus came, that's right, in John 12, uh, 30, 14.30, he said, I, uh, the prince of the world now stands uh, judged to stand to be driven out, right? So Jesus came to condemn the prince of the world. That's why Jesus came as the kingdom of heaven to uh, destroy the kingdom of the world, the king of the world, which is uh, the devil. After Jesus died, this is where I wanted to get to, uh, then the devil is no longer the king of the world, no longer the prince of the world, no longer the ruler of death, no longer the pr- ruler of the air, ru- ruler of um, darkness, but he is someone who leads the world astray. Revelation twelve fourteen says... It's the leads, he leads the world astray, and you need to write down the verse 12, uh, 14, Revelation 12, 14, or 12, 9. So after Jesus died, uh, he stripped, when Jesus died at the cross, he stripped the power off of the devil, so he no longer has the power of death over men. Okay, so what he what so what does he do? Is he a, is he a good angel now? Is he a good guy? He's not a good guy. He's still a bad guy. He what he does is he leads the world astray by lying to them. The world is lying. Okay. I said he leads the whole world astray, and it's after the judgment Christ judgment of Christ. Revelation twelve fourteen. I'm sorry, I try to, maybe I should make it into two tables next time, but I made it to one table, so the end is kind of cut off. Leads the world astray, 12-9, Revelation. Okay? Maisie, you can't see? Which one? You can see? Yeah, you look confused. Okay. After the judgment of Christ, that's what I said. After the judgment of Christ. After Jesus judged. After Jesus said, it is finished. Okay, so the key thing that you need to learn about this, know about this, is that they're all referring to one person, one being, and that's the devil. But uh, we don't necessarily call him Satan when we are dealing with him, even though Satan sounds kind of more fun than the devil. The devil is harder to say. The devil. But Satan sounds much Satan, right? So if you remember Saturday Night Live, is it Satan? Do you remember that? What was his name on? Dana, that's it. Yeah, I don't know if you know. Anyway, so Saturday Night Live, there was a character. He's a church lady. He's always going like this. Is it Satan? So anyway, so Satan. Satan sounds really fun and stronger, so you can really accent the word. 
Um, but we don't call him Satan. He's always going to be the devil because it is relational term. Right? It's a relative term. So uh, that's one th- another thing that we need to know about Satan and the, def- the difference between Satan and the devil. Satan is when he's against God, uh, which refers to him being traitor, rebel, or uh, betrayer against God. But the devil is when he is against men as he is doing the job of separating and destroying us. Now then, why did Jesus call him Satan in, uh, in Matthew 4 after Jesus had overcome the, um, the temptation of the devil in the desert after he fasted? At the end, he said, oh, away from me. Get the out of here, you Satan. So why is it that Jesus is Satan and we can't say Satan to, to him? Who is Jesus? Jesus is God. You see? If you know this, then you can see these subtle differences. Why Jesus called him Satan we don't call him Satan, right? Because Jesus is God. And the devil, who we call devil, when he's against and tempting Jesus, he's doing the job as Satan. So since uh, Jesus died at the cross, the devil has no power. He has no power, no weapon. So it's like um, government, let's say a soldier. I heard on the news lately, Some I didn't hear the details, but some terrible guy, some training uh, a soldier, an officer who has a job of training, uh, new recruits, and he's, char- he's in charge of some sexual abuse or some rape charge or something like that. It's horrible. So he, uh, many, many victims. So now he's uh, uh, sentenced. So then he's no longer an officer. He can't carry a weapon. He doesn't have a right to. He doesn't have, um, he can't enjoy the benefits of being an officer, uh, a, 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 a soldier, because he's guilty, he's convicted of a crime. And similarly, the devil, after uh, Jesus died at the cross and said, it is finished, that moment was the moment when Jesus stripped the devil of his weapon. So the devil has no more weapon. Do you remember the, the, the fish tank with the crab? He doesn't have a claw, right? So all of it is gone. The weapon is gone. So he's just still around, but no weapons. Remember that, logo students. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Or those of you saw on video, Pastor Kang doing it, and I feel sorry for you watching video. But anyway, it's a lie. I was doing a lie. So no, no weapon. Uh, but what does he do? He still, still is around. He is an old, old neighbor of ours. He's always around, and he leads the whole world astray, astray. So instead of uh, uh, helping us to follow the word of God as the Holy Spirit does, what the devil does is he leads the whole world astray individually, and as a, as a group, he leads the whole world astray. First Peter 5, 8 says, he is like a hungry lion, roaring lion, ready to devour Christians, devour even those who are chosen. So just as a, as a lion, when he's hungry, and just look at his mouth, you're looking at his teeth, you just faint because you get so scared just looking at those teeth because he's ready to chop you up and eat you, grind you up into pieces and, and swallow you. And that's what the devil is doing today. So um, even though he has no more power, no more authority since the death of Jesus, he's pretending like. So all men are still afraid of death, still afraid of death. At a point of gun and a point of knife, they will give up everything. But the power of Christian is that we do not fear death. Isn't that true? Sort of. But when the car comes, "Ah!" (laughs) that's me too. It's like, "Ah!" I get scared so easily. But in theory, (laughs) in theory, (laughs) when we're filled with the Holy Spirit in, in congregation like this, we are ready to die for Christ. We are not afraid of death. Amen. 
that's the power of Christianity. That's the power of Christians, Christian faith, uh, that we, are, we do not fear death. We do not fear those who hold death as a weapon, even though the world no longer has it as a weapon. Uh, and because we are children of God, we have the Father's name, the name Yeshua. So in the name Yeshua, by, with the name Yeshua, we have the power to break every stronghold. Hallelujah. Number three, the content of Lucifer's rebellion. So what was the content? Uh, what, was, what did he do wrong? What was wrong with what he did? First, he denied the only one God. There's only one God. There is only one true God, one God. This is our faith, one God. But because Luciel, as an angel, as a creation, one day focused on himself, and he looked at himself, and he, and he followed his own heart, his heart became his master. He was dictated, motivated, and driven by his own heart. While our hearts belong to the only one God. There's only one, one who can own us, own our hearts, and that's God. Um, so what's important is not our hearts, but the heart of the master. A lot of people say, well, my heart says, all right, my heart. My, I follow my heart. Listen to your heart. Listen to your heart. So uh, because they listen to their heart, they don't obey the word of God. They don't believe the word of God. They don't follow the word of God. They say, my heart says I'm not ready. I'm not ready to be baptized. My heart says I'm not ready to go to the retreat. You know, so they listen to their heart. Yes, it is true. You do need to listen to your heart at some point. But, the, but Proverbs says your heart is, is a liar. Your heart uh, is evil. Don't listen to your heart. Uh, so what's important is not listening to your heart, but the heart of the master, that you listen to what God desires, what God wants. So emphasizing yourself and your heart, me, 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 what I want, what I think, is a Lucifer's characteristic, because that was what his rebellion was about. Second, he deified himself. So deify there comes from uh, deity, which means God. Deify is to make God, right? So deification of creation. It's a mouthful, but... Uh, to deify means to make something a god. So when he said, I will be like God, I will sit on the throne, even though he's a creation, he made himself God, and that's his sin. That was content of his sin. So idolatry is the desire to sit on God's throne and to be worshipped like God. So when, when the angel said, I'm going to sit on God's throne, I'm going to be worshipped by the stars of God, that moment was idolatry. He became an idol for himself. So that was the deification of creation. Third, he challenged the name of God. Because the name of God is the throne of God, is the authority of God, is the glory of God. When he went against it, he blasphemed against God's name. He, did, he attempted to compete with God. He said, why not? Why can't I be like God? He put himself at the same level as God, which is impossible to do. And then the fourth, he confused the resting environment of God. So by leaving his proper domain, which is to do his job as an angel, uh, he destroyed the order of God. Okay? God has an order uh, in, in the spiritual heaven that he established. But when this angel, a servant, threw in the towel and said, I'm not doing this anymore, I'm walking out, uh, he destroyed that order of God. So God's resting environment is no longer restful. Okay? So... 
this, uh, with this same content, denying the only God, deifying the creation, challenging the name of God, confusing the, rest, the restful environment of God, same contents are now then applied to in the Garden of Eden, right? So as he tempts Eve, uh, he said, you will be like God. Eat the fruit. You will be like God, right? So denying the only one God and deifying creation, the woman and the man. And then also challenge the name of God. God didn't really mean that. It's okay. You can go against the word of God, right? And confusing the environment. The paradise was then shaken up. It's no longer paradise, no longer the Garden of Eden. And then later, uh, with the same contents, the devil tempted Jesus, right? This is not new to you. We did this in Logos, right? The first... So, you know, turn stones into bread, uh, jump from the building, see if God's going to catch you, bow down to me, the devil said to Jesus, right, bow down, because I'm God, right? So he is denying the only one God, he is deifying himself. So all the same contents are repeated because it is the same guy who causes men to fall, to sin. So this is why God gave the law of Moses uh, to the Israelites. Um, The first four uh, commandments of uh, the law, the Ten Commandments. Uh, First is what? You shall have no other gods before me. That's to go against the denial of the only one God, right? Because Satan did it. Don't do it, right? Because he did it, God put that in there. Do you understand? Uh, What's the second commandment? No, idol. Don't carve out any images and don't bow down to anything, right? Why? Because Satan did that. Lucifer did that. He deified himself. He made himself God. So you don't make anything into God, right? Don't carve out any statues. Don't make anything into God. Don't bow down in front of anything else. So that's uh, the commandment about idolatry. Number three, do not misuse the name of the Lord. Do not blast me against the uh, the name of the Lord. And that's because Lucifer challenged the name of the Lord. Isn't this amazing? Like, I love this kind of, you know, these common things. It just lines, everything lines up into one thing. I love it. That's why the Bible is so perfect. And the fourth one is about the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Because who didn't remember the restful environment? Who didn't keep it holy? It was Lucifer. He defiled it. He made it uh, unclean. That's why Jesus, when he died at the cross, half of his blood went to men. Half of his blood went to Heavenly tabernacle because it was unclean. I'm becoming like, you know who, I'm trying to bring everything in, but if you can't follow, it's all right. All right, so uh, today, because of the devil, unbelievers are rebellious and resistant. So this is why they say, no, I'm not going to believe you. I'm not going to, I believe in nothing. You know, they will fight against you. I believe in Muhammad. I believe in Mary. Whatever. They're going to keep on going on and on because of the devil. And believers are also influenced by the devil or affected by the devil because we're still tempted to commit these sins, to break these sins. Why can't I break one Sunday? I've been coming to church for 20 years. I've been a deacon for 20 years. It's just one Sunday. Why not? Right? Well, how can they say that? Because they're still exposed to the devil's temptations. He still does the same work even though he has no power. Number four, the punishment of sin. So as we read before in Isaiah 14, 15, it says, you are brought down to the grave to the depths of the pit. All right, so the depths of the pit to the grave. So to the grave in Isaiah 14, the grave there is Sheol in uh, Hebrew. Uh, And Hades in Greek. All right, so the grave, these are all referring to the universe. 
So the punishment for him was in the Old Testament is Sheol, the New Testament is Hades or Hades, uh, that God prepared this space to contain him here, which is again referred to as the depths of the pit or the grave, um, until the judgment day. So this is like the um, holding cell. I hope you don't know what, what I'm talking about. I hope you've never been there and you have no idea what I'm talking about. I only heard in the news. The holding cell is in between, right? So uh, you, you are arrested from doing whatever, and they bring you into a jail. It's, you don't, you, that's not where you're going to serve your term. That's not where you're going to be punished. It's just a holding cell until you're arraigned or released on whatever um, uh, you're, until you make the phone call to a lawyer, you talk, there's some date, court dates uh, set, you are held in a holding cell, holding cell. And so Haiti, Sheol, this space here, is like a holding cell for the devil. He is being held here with us, with all the stars, with the Empire State Building, Statue of Liberty, all of it, he's being held here until uh, judgment. So uh, it's, again, arresting a criminal and keeping him there until the court date. And court date, once the judge hears everything, then he's going to say guilty, right? So until the date uh, takes place, he is held here. Let's look at 2 Peter 2.4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment. Jude 6. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their own home, these he has kept in darkness, bounding, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. So as I went over the first lecture, that, uh, that universe uh, is hovered by the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God in Genesis 1, 2 is the same as the gloomy dungeon in 2 Peter 2.4 and everlasting chains. Again, I just love that, that, that it's all same, referring to the same thing. We just read these two passages here. So he is locked in. It's not just um, keeping the water out there and keeping the gravity in and people in. The reason why the Spirit of God is hovering is he's... He's doing a job of being a gloomy dun or being gloomy dungeons or everlasting chains to um, lock in, to lock in the spiritual beings that are in here. Okay, so in the holding cell, they need to be locked up, locked in, locked up. You never want to be any of this, any of those things. Locked up, locked out, locked in, locked down. Those are all bad stuff. Anyway, so that's where they are. So the first inmate. In the jumpsuit, the orange jumpsuit, was the devil. Hey, yo, what's up? You know, it's like he's sitting in there with the tattoo. He's waiting. And Adam showed up later, later that. I mean, I love, don't you appreciate these imageries? When you have these imageries, then it makes more real. You know, it makes more sense because that's what you kind of are familiar with. So the orange jumpsuit guy is sitting there waiting, lifting weights, and the newbie comes in. So that newbie is Adam and all men, right? So he was the first guy there and then man. Now let's look at Adam's sin. Genesis 2, 16 to 17. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. So uh, God was speaking to Adam, uh, but he was speaking to not just the man Adam, but the living being, 
Right? So in Genesis 2, 7, he made the man into a living being with the breath that came from him. And to the living being that is housed or contained in this flesh, God said, you are free to eat anything, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of it, you will surely die. So he's speaking to the second person pronoun in you, 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 but that you is not the flesh, but the spirit. All right. So that was the defining moment of the fall of man. That's a definition of sin for Adam. Okay. So to Adam, God defines what sin is. If you sin, you die. If you don't, you live. So it's a life and death matter, uh, sin or, or, or not. Right? So that's the law that was given to Adam that defined sin for him. Because for sin to be defined, you need law. You have to have law first, and then sin is defined. So in this case, to convict Adam, to condemn him, to trap him, if you will, or to catch him, to define his sin, God laid the law first. What was the law? Do not eat, right? If you eat of it, you will surely die. Uh, So what would die was the Adam, uh, the living being, not the flesh. The spirit would die as soon as he disobeyed the word of God. But the tree uh, was at the center of the garden. It was very tempting. And as soon as you say, don't touch, don't look. Don't look. Here, can you hold this for a second? But don't look. Don't look. Then suddenly you're like, what's in that thing? I'm itchy. I mean, I want to know what that is. Or peek in there. Um, so the woman, uh, God said, do not eat. Then the man and the woman wanted. There was a possibility. The seed of, the, of, of their posi- the possibility to eat was planted. They wanted to, right? And then when the devil came and tempted It ignited. It was fueled. The desire was fueled. So they ate the fruit. So when Adam ate the fruit, uh, Eve ate first, and she gave to uh, Adam, and Adam ate. Uh, So that was the moment he sinned. So the definition of Adam's sin is he broke the word of God by eating the fruit that he wasn't supposed to eat. So it's not the fruit itself, but it was the word of God. It was the word of God. And as a result, death came to Adam and all men after him uh, would now be punished for this sin. Now let's go to the price of sin. Did we have B already? I think my number might be off. Was that B? This should be C, I think, right? C. This is C. C, the price of sin. Sorry about that. Romans 6, 20, 12, uh, 23 says, The wages of sin is death. The price of sin is death. So anyone who sins deserves to die, to die. Um, and 1 Corinthians 15, 21 says, because Adam sinned, the spirits of all men died. So one man ate, all men ate. One man died, all men died. Because we all share the fate of Adam as we are all connected to him. So life, to live means to be united with God. So in the Bible, life is the state of being united with God. Death is the state of being separated from God.
So the biblical definition of life and death are dif uh, is, is different from the worldly definition. Worldly definition, if somebody has vital signs, they're alive. If they don't have any, they're not breathing. The brain is, not, uh, the brain is dead, they're dead. But the, uh, the definition in the Bible of life is being united with God, being one with God, uh, living by his word, being governed by his word. That's living. But once you are separated from God, there's a wedge between you. Uh, and you are no longer with God, then you are dead. So that's, that, that goes with, that's, that, that definition is in line with the definition of sin, which is the separation uh, from God. I think there's a little excerpt there in uh, Pastor's book, which reminds me of the conversation we had last night and this morning about her sermon last night. Um, so, you know, I was talking about this last week, too, with the group, and they were saying, what about babies? I mean, like, right away, they think of these uh, scenarios. So uh, it, it's natural. If they're thinking people, they ask these questions, you know. So I said, you know, Adam sinned. If, if one uh, man sinned, we are all connected with, from Adam, with Adam. So if Adam lives, we, we live. If Adam died, we died, right? So then they ask the question, what about babies, right? So uh, people like to think babies are innocent, so they have nothing to do with sin. They're not evil. They're very innocent. They're pure. Uh, but, of course, knowing Adam's sin, then we would say they are spiritually dead, right, even their baby or not. Because uh, every man, being a spiritual being, inherited Adam's sin. So once Adam, the root of a tree, uh, swallowed poison, all the branches, all the leaves, all the flowers inherited poison, which is sin, which is death. Okay? Then people can ask the question, like, what if Adam had not sinned in the garden? Would he have lived forever? Right? So uh, a lot of theologians say if Adam did not uh, sin, he would have lived happily ever after, forever and ever and ever and ever, forever. Right? So Adam and Eve will live forever. They will have babies living forever. For, so they will do that. So that's what a, a lot of theologians say, and they're confused about that um, because they consider uh, this flesh to be living forever. Now, Pastor had said last night, which I had to clarify, uh, we have to clarify, the state of uh, being alive for spiritual being is when your spirit is intact with your body. When your spirit leaves, this body dies right? Passed away. They've gone away, right? So the spirit is passed away. The flesh is dead. The sep the, when your spirit splits with your flesh, then your flesh is dead. But when they're together, they're alive, right? So if Adam did not, if, let's say Adam didn't eat the fruit, what would have happened? Then death would not have come into his spirit. He would have lived in his flesh on but we won't call that eternal life because eternal life is through resurrected spirit, right? Because he would have lived in the flesh. Now, would he have lived forever? Was that God's plan? No. God made man with the dust of the ground, the flesh from the dust of the ground, having the function to live and die. Why? Because the last Adam has to come to die, right? That's the, that's the purpose of incarnation of the word. To, to die. So the flesh has the function to die, and he did not sin. He did sin. So sin entered, and to dust you will perish. You will go. You will return. Man shall return to dust, from dust to dust. So that way, it's all perfect 
um, perfect word in the Bible. Now, this, uh, so the, when we look at the result of Adam's sin, then there's a separation between God and man. Did you understand that, what I was trying to say? Yeah, right? So, I mean, I'm not explaining something that you already knew. Come on, I'm kind of clarifying it. Don't pretend like you knew it already. Because we had said, you know, we already said, like, on the sixth day, God made the pigs and the dogs. They all die anyway, right? We all die. So the flesh dies anyway. So we didn't really think about that. But what if Adam did not sin, right? In that case, the spirit would have stayed intact in the flesh, and the flesh would have lived, not calling that eternal life, but living on. But he would not have lived on because that's not the plan of God. I just wanted to bring that in because I needed to clarify it and I wanted to share that with you. So you are well, welcome. Okay, so separation between God and man. Adam was cast out from the garden. He was banished from the garden. And as a result, he had to live by the sweat of, uh, the brow of, his, uh, sweat of his brow. And uh, even though he would work the ground, the ground will produce thorns and thistles. So hardship came as a result of the separation of God and man. Then there's separation among men, between man and man. We see that when as soon as God said to Adam, asked Adam, who told you to eat it? What did he say? The bone of my bones, the flesh of my flesh. She made me do it. The woman you gave me gave me the fruit. She made me eat it. It wasn't my fault. It was her fault. So passing the bucket, right? So that's blaming, blaming someone else. That is the first separation uh, between uh, men or among men. And then the first murder uh, occurred with his sons, Adam's sons. And then the separation between the flesh and the soul. The serpent has now the right to eat the flesh. In Genesis 3.14, God said, you will eat dust. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. Now, do snakes eat dust? No, that's not why we're scared of them. If they ate dust, we would not be scared of snakes. Uh, They eat flesh. They eat meat. Some of them eat human flesh. So uh, we know the serpents don't eat dust. But uh, when God said, you will eat dust all the days of your life, he was referring to the devil having the right to attack the flesh of men. All right? So that is now, now, uh, men would suffer from diseases uh, brought on by the devil. Okay? Now let's talk about the types of sins. So the first type of sin is what I've been uh, talking about all along, which is the original sin. So the original sin refers to Adam's sin, which was eating the fruit that was forbidden. It was breaking the word of God. It is what causes all men to go to hell. Why do spirits die? Why will they die? Why will they be thrown into the second death? Right? Second death refers to hell. Why are, they going to, why are they going to be thrown into hell? It's because their spirit is dead. Dead spirits don't go to heaven. They go to hell. Right? So what causes the spirit to die? It's Adam's sin, the original sin. So it's the sin that causes men to go to hell. That's the original uh, sin. And it's all men's sin. When Adam ate, we all ate. So it's his sin. It is our sin. In uh, Psalm 51, verse 5, David said, uh, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. So all men are sinful at conception. It's, you know, when, when the mother becomes pregnant with the baby inside, uh, 
perhaps around six months when the fetus is pretty developed. Uh, we don't know exactly when, but we know at some point the person is developed, the soul is developed, and the spirit is there already. And the spirit, because it's connected to Adam, is sinful. Babies are sinful in mommy's tummies and out of mommy's tummies. So what makes men sinners is not their wrongdoing. Okay, it's not what they do with their hands that, go, they send, that sends them to hell. Because this is what religious people think. Monks do this. They think if I stop touching, if I stop watching, if I stop eating or drinking or doing things, then maybe I will be saved. So they think all this stuff is with their hands, their bodies. But what the problem is they have no idea about Adam's sin, what's inside of their spirit. Let's go to Romans 5, 12 to 14. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men, because all sinned. For before the law was given, sin was in the world, but sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. So it says, through one man, Adam, all men sinned, and as a result, death came to all men. So no, no man is without sin. No man is without the burden of death, burden which is the price of sin. So again, death there, where it says death through sin, it is not referring to the physical death, but spiritual death. Okay? So Adam's sin, because it was the sin of the living being, the spiritual being sin, that sin does not disappear. Okay, the flesh sin, once the man dies, the sin is also taken care of. It's gone. But the spirit still has sin. You can't, it's always there with the first Adam, all the way down. Okay? Now then we go to the, something called the second type, self-committed sin. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. So all have sinned there refers to what we have done with our bodies, what we actually have done ourselves. We can't blame anybody else but ourselves because we did it. This is us doing. All have sinned. So self-committed sin is committed by individuals, and through individual acts, sins are committed. So it's breaking the law of Moses. So breaking the law of Moses is also referred to, not besides sin, transgressions, lawless deeds, iniquities, right, it's Isaiah 53, talking about iniquities, uh, Ephesians 2.1, you were dead in your sin and your, your transgressions and your sin. So those are all referring to breaking this, the law, breaking the law. Uh, so the law of Moses, the law, or, or, or the Bible says the law, Mosaic law, the law of Moses, uh, was given to Israel about... 3,500 years or even about 4,000 years ago. Right? So about 15,000 years before Jesus' time, the law was given to Israel through Moses. Even though it was given to Israel, and you can say, but my people are from China, I don't know anything about the law, it doesn't matter. The law, once it came to the world, it applied to everyone from Africa to, to China to, to Australia, you name it, everyone came under the law. Right? You remember the eras, right? Uh, the test eras. Yes, the eras. <laughs> remember Buddha? Yeah, anyway. So, <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> um, 
so besides the Ten Commandments, uh, so the Ten Commandments were given, and, but people tend to think the Law of Moses is just the Ten Commandments, but there's more than Ten Commandments, 613 points to the law, right? So uh, all those points to the law have to be kept so that you could be called righteous. Even then, you still have sin in your spirit. And what James said in 2.10 is if you break one commandment, you have broken all commandments. All right, so you can say, well, I kept all 612.5. I've only missed 0.5, right? I'm better than that guy who's broken 613, all of it. No, if you broke one, you broke all, you're the same as the next guy. So even though there was sin in the world because of Adam, because there was no law, they did not know that they had sin, that they were sinners. And that's the function of the law. The function of the law is the law for the law to come and to put everyone under the law to make sin more sinful. Right, so uh, Paul said in Romans 5 uh, on to 7, 9, and 13, uh, the law came and sin sprang up. Sin sprang up and I became utterly sinful. It's utterly sinful. I can't even speak about how sinful I am because the law came. The law convicts men to be sinners. So we talked about commandments from 1 to 4. Those are uh, commandments regarding your relationship with God. Then commandment 5, which starts with honor your parents till do not covet, number 10. These are all regarding sins against men. So then, you know, some people can say, you know, I've done number 1 to 4. I've always kept Sabbath from my Day eight, I was circumcised, whatever, you know, kept Sabbath. They can say, well, I'm righteous, you know, I don't have any sin. So let's go through all the commandments then. Have you honored your parents? Uh, I think at that point we, are all, we would all be stoned to death in this room. Am I speaking just for myself? Are you all goody-goody sons and daughters? You've never yelled at your parents and slammed the door at them? Or slam the door and be like, you know, if you can't yell at them yourself, you slam the door and be like, what are you doing? Nothing. You know, so... <laughs> So you were scared of your parents, and you always honored your parents, but deep inside, you hated them. You know, you hated them. You, with the pen, you were, like, stabbing their pictures. You did that. So you did not honor your parents. Okay, so you didn't honor your parents. You said you honored your parents? All right, let's go to number six. Do not murder. Oh, I never killed anybody. Okay, so you move on. Do not commit adultery. I've never looked at even, uh, uh, even looked at a woman with lustful eyes. Okay, so you didn't commit adultery. You didn't, uh, in the next one, you didn't, uh, do not steal. Um, so then we tend to think do not steal as like robbing a bank and stealing a car, but it's taking anything that doesn't belong to you. Uh, so pastor makes these examples of her generation, which is stealing toothpicks. I mean, who steals But I think about straws. How about straw, guys? Straws. Straws? Starbucks straws? <laughs> Guilty? Joe, I know you've taken handful, right? Many of you, all of you are laughing, so you've all done it. You've taken more than one straws right so <laughs> i never think that's stealing did you pay for the straws no you pay for the cup of cappuccino whatever you macchiato whatever you ordered so stealing toothpicks pastor kang starbucks for me so okay that how about you stealing money from your parents wallet has anyone stolen a dollar from their parents wallet you've all done it when they were sleeping you went into their room you're counting the money and then you snuck it and you put it in your pocket come on you've all done it um Maybe you didn't do it, or you said, well, that's not me. I've never taken extra napkin, extra napkin. I've only gotten the stuff that they gave me. I'm clean. Okay, let's go to the next one. Do not lie. Do not lie. 
Can anyone say that I have not lied today? Today. Maybe not in that last two hours because you haven't talked yet. You didn't talk to anyone. <laughs> I've been the only one talking, but as soon as the doors open, you're going to start lying. How are you doing? Fine. Fine. You know, inside, you're just like miserable, so depressed. I'm fine. I'm fine. So that's lying. So everyone is guilty of lying. And do not covet, of course. If your neighbor buys Mercedes, you get a stomachache. That's right. So they get a promotion. They got the six-figure job, right? An interview. They rank number one. You have a stomachache. You need to lie down. So it's the, it's the, you didn't plan it. But as soon as you hear somebody doing that, you get a headache. It's covet, coveting and being jealous. I know it's funny, and we, we, we crack jokes about it, and I do. But it's a serious sin, serious, serious sins. It, under the law of Moses in the Old Testament, anyone caught doing this were killed uh, on the spot, stoned to death or burned alive, or burned alive. Uh, they were killed. They were put to death. Today, we're not killing anyone uh, under the law of Moses, but we ought to still be convicted through the law to find ourselves to be sinners. So we are not only sinners by Adam's sin, but we have also sinned with our hands, with our mouths, with our feet, with our bodies. So no one is without sin. That's what God wanted uh, men to know with the Old Testament, with the law of Moses. But there were those who still said, I'm not guilty. I am righteous, right? I'm righteous. So uh, remember the fishing net imagery the pastor always gives. When you net that, let down a net, you catch a fish. You catch lots of fish. But if the net, uh, the openings are big, you still lose tiny little fish like sardines, right? Sardines, they will go out. And they were the Pharisees, the Jews, right? Said, I'm not caught. I'm, I'm not guilty. And then Jesus came and defined new, type of, new types of sin. And that is, this new type is a desire of sin. It wasn't just Jesus, but God actually defi- uh, talked about the desire of sin with Cain. When God saw Cain brewing with anger, he said, sin is crouching at your door. You must master it in Genesis 4, 7. Master it. He saw that anger, that jealousy, that envy that um, Cain could not control. God said, control it, right? So that was mentioned there. And then when Jesus came in Matthew 5, 22, uh, anyone who's angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Anyone who calls his brother raka, which means stupid, uh, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. Anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. So how many, of you, uh, how many of you have gotten into fights with your brothers or sisters? Come on, not, maybe not today because you're a holy deacon, but maybe 10 years. <laughs> when you are not holy, you're a nasty brother or sister. How many of you actually said, you stupid? How many of you have done that? <laughs> Koreans, always, Koreans have to do one of these things. They have to do the fist or the hand. They're just so bad people. Anyway, <laughs> such sadistic people. Anyway, so... Um, you say, you stupid, you jerk, or you SOB, whatever, you M, whatever. I won't say it, but anyway, so all that stuff you call somebody, right? Uh, you didn't kill him, but Jesus said you killed him, and that you are in danger of the fire of hell. Fire of hell, because you said stupid to your brother. Uh, he also said, 528, I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So the, uh, the Pharisees, the Jews, the law-abiding Jews said, we've never slept with anyone. We never even touched any woman. We can't even see their bodies because they're all covered from head to toe. You know, uh, they're all wearing black and they have coverings, you know, all that, looking modest. But anyone who looks at a woman and said, wow, she's hot. 
and I'm stuck with her. You know, it's that kind of... It's my fate, right? It's my life. How can, how can someone live with like, someone like her, and I'm stuck with her? You know, so it's that kind of... You didn't actually say, I'm going to go out with her, I'm going to touch her hand, but you said like, wow, that's a lucky guy. If you said that... If you said that, then you've already committed adultery. So Jesus redefined. He actually pushed the boundaries of sin. He actually stretched it out. He gave a broader definition of sin. You think you didn't sin because you didn't do it with your hands, with your body. But if you did it with your mind, with your heart, with, with even your tongue, you did it. You did it. So 1 Corinthians 9.21 says it's the Christ law. So now, whatever Jesus commanded uh, with... Uh, by his word, if we don't obey, then we break Christ's law. So everything that Jesus commanded, you know, pray, preach, serve, offer, follow, deny yourself, all those things that he commanded, if we don't follow, we are breaking what is called Christ's law. So no one can say, I am without sin. No one can say, I am guilty. Even as Christians, even as Church of Jesus members, even as deacons and leaders, as we are sitting in this room, cannot say we are without sin, can we? We are still guilty of sins. Perhaps not of the exact same types, but we are still convicted uh, for being a sinner, being sinful because of the law, because of the word of God. Now then we look at patterns of sin. How do they manifest themselves? We don't have time to look at all the passages. Uh, But the New Testament carves out sin in greater details. It condemns those who are uh, in Romans 1, 32, slanderous, violent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless, they all deserve death. Uh, Galatians 5, 19, 21, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage. For those of us who are guilty of temper, this is, this is about us. Fits of rage, selfish. Selfish. You have, you have, you have a house full of food and house of stuff, and it's all about your family. You only care about your family, and you don't share anything. You don't care about the, your brother who's starving next door. That's selfish. Ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warned you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Timothy 1, 9, uh, 10, 2 Timothy 3, 2, 5. 2 Timothy 3 to 5, it says, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. So loving money is, con- is considered sin in the New Testament. Loving yourself is also considered sin. Boastful, proud, can't control bragging yourself, controlling, you can't control, oh, I did that, I had that, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had, you have to get your word in there, that's boastful, that's proud abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving is also sin. You know, you have, you have the tendency to remember everyone else's sin. You hold grudges against people, that's sin. Unforgiving is sin. Slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. So the Bible says God has nothing to do with people like this. That means he has nothing to do with us because I think from what I read, I hope that you find yourself in there somewhere. If God has nothing to do with them, he says, Do not have anything to do with them. 
He says to turn away from these people. Therefore, we can't be part of them. God says you will not inherit kingdom if you still love the world, if you still love money, if you're still full of yourself. But religious people like the Catholic monks, and, 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 and I give Catholics and Buddhists as examples because they're so dedicated. They're so religious people, and, and perhaps we know, we know them more than, let's say, we know Muslims, for example. But they believe that sin comes from their physical senses, so you know they beat their bodies, and uh, there are Muslim holidays where they repent. They beat their bodies, so their backs are really bloody. So they lash themselves. And they, everybody watches, and they all weep together, you know, because the sin is coming from my flesh. I'm beating it. I'm beating it. And I gave examples about these Catholic monks uh, in Switzerland. They vowed to life of silence. So they go into this monastery, and they say, I'm going to be silent for the rest of my life because unholiness, uncleanliness comes from words. I'm only going to think about God. So all, all you hear is raindrops, snowflakes falling, and chopping the uh, food in the kitchen, and singing, because uh, only time they can speak is during the service. So they keep themselves really, they think, clean. Because they think that if they can stop physical stuff, that they'd be clean. But they have it wrong. There is, they can't control their heart. They can't control their thoughts. Not only that, they have inherited sin in their spirit that they can do nothing about. Therefore, all men are destined to be thrown into the second death. That's our destiny. That's our destiny, and that's what we need to tell others about their destiny. If they don't know about sin, they don't know about their fate, and they will surely go to hell. They're destined to go to hell. Now, when we talk about how hell, uh, sin is inherited, we need to talk about how it's passed down. How does Adam's sin pass down? Why do we need to worry about Adam's sin? Why is it my business? So we need to talk about the transmission of sin. Transmit. I transmit. It is sending. It is delivering, passing down. So for us to understand how does sin uh, transmit, how does it get transmitted, we have to first understand how does the spirit get transmitted, right? So how, how does the transmission of the spirit work? That's number one, transmission of the spirit. So we know that God made Adam in Genesis 2-7. The spirit was made there. But what about the rest of us? All men came after Adam then, which they say is about 6,000 years ago. Perhaps more now. Maybe six, 7,000 years ago Adam was made. So the living being was made. Some theologians say that's how long ago. So then what about the rest of us all those thousands of years? How did the spirit pass down? So we need to look at different theories. The main three theories are uh, pre-existence theory, second creationism, and the third, traditionism. The pre-existence theory says that uh, individuals are given separate spirits um, at their a time of conception, and these spirits are prepared ahead of time. So God makes ten billion spirits and he puts them like in a stock. It's in stock, in stock, uh, in, in, st- in storage somewhere. So when a baby is conceived, the mother's baby, a mother's womb, God takes that one spirit and puts in there, puts in there, puts in there. Right? So that's uh, the pre-existence theory. And along with that is the doctrine uh, saying that by the time that stock runs empty, then Jesus comes back. That's what they think. Uh, so this is the belief 
of some sects of Mormonism. Not all Mormons believe this, apparently. Some sects of Mormons believe this. Uh, so they believe that the more babies they have, the quicker the stock runs out. Stock runs out. And then uh, sooner Jesus comes. So to do that, you can't do it with one wife. You've got to have more than one, two, three, three, four, five wives. So polygamy, uh, fecundity, uh, fertility, all of that is promoted, uh, implied through this theory. Second theory is creationism. And note that this is not the same as believing in the creator of all things. Rather, this is a belief or doctrine that says God creates spirits for each body. He custom makes Right? So we're in a body's form. Hmm, let's see. All right, I'll make this spirit for you. Hmm, this one? I'll make this one. So he makes individual, tailored spirits for each body. So endless. Just any time a baby's born, God is making a new one. That's creationism. And the third uh, theory is called traducianism. And it's the doctrine uh, that refers, uh, uh, refers to a doctrine that says this, there's one spirit, and that one spirit is transmitted through the natural generation of the body. So as the body is being made, that spirit is passed down to be shared with all the bodies. Okay? So those are the three main theories. And what we believe, according to the Bible, according to the will of God, would be the third one, the Traducianism theory. So you've, heard, you've seen the drawing in Logos before. So let's say there's a one large seed. So let's say this is seed, Adam, the first Adam, and it's a vine. Uh, so here is, oops, pumpkin, pumpkin vine. Right? They grow low and long, on uh, low to the ground. Right, so everyone has different shape, form, but they hold the same components. So the dotted line is the flesh that I drew last week. And let's say that the inside is the person or the soul. And out here is the spirit. Again, like I said, you can switch the person and the spirit together. Maybe in this case we can switch it. But um, the idea of traducianism is whatever uh, the seed sends out, each pumpkin gets. Okay? So if there is poison here, every pumpkin is poisoned. Okay? Or a drug user shoots drug into his veins. Right? Uh, uh, the drug user is shooting into his vein in the arm, but the whole body gets affected by the drugs. So the whole body gets high. Okay, so influenced by the drugs. So one source shared by as many as 7 billion. You know, Pastor always says 6 billion. A lot of her examples are really outdated. Like she keeps on saying 18 billion years. Like, Ma, it's not 18. I keep telling you 28. But it's like ingrained in her brain so she can't snap out. But anyway, it's not that important. She always says 6 billion. But seven, 7 billionth baby was born a couple of months ago in the Philippines, I think. So now there are 7 billion people on earth. Uh, so there are 7 billion uh, of these pumpkins. Uh, but there's only one atom. 
Okay, one Adam. And, and in fact, we call him the first Adam. So the Adam who sinned in uh, Genesis 2, 7 and 17 and 3, uh, was it 4? All of it, Genesis, is the first Adam. When he ate the fruit and sinned, the poison flew into the spirit of every man. Okay, so no baby is innocent. No baby is without um, death in the spirit. But I'm going to talk about babies of believers a little bit later in the faith stage. But uh, for all men, uh, they inherited uh, this sin. So the vine, uh, that's why, you know, we, we talk about pumpkins, but, you know, uh, grape vines, grape vines grow like this way. So there's a, a root, and it's, it's a really short tree. There are short trees, but the branches go almost like horizontal, and they branch out this way. So that's another example that you can use. Um, or uh, when you bake bread or cookies, you have, you make a batter, right? So you make a batter, uh, you have, you, let's say you cook it, you're making a cookie, your cake. So you're doing flour, egg, butter, uh, sugar, uh, baking, some riser, baking powder, baking uh, soda, uh, vanilla, whatever, flavoring. So you have, and you have to do all that whipping and all that. So in the batter, when you do b- uh, bread, you have dough, dough. So when you make dinner rolls, you have to make the big one lump of dough into 12 dozens, right? So when you separate them, all the component that goes that went into the dough, the flour, the water, the, uh, the egg, the butter, milk, buttermilk, whatever you use it, all of that goes into the individual rolls. So that's what happened here, and that's what happened also um, with Eve. So when Eve, um, when Adam, uh, and when God made Eve from the, uh, Adam's rib, the rib went... The flesh went, also Adam's spirit went. So even though Eve sinned an evil sin, satanic sin against God, she's included into Adam's sin, which is a disobedient, uh, a disobedient sin. So from here, we can uh, go into the transmission. Oh, we can read Malachi 2.15. Has not uh, the Lord made them one in flesh and spirit? They are his, and why one? Because he was seeking godly offspring, just up there. So to seek godly offspring. The offspring, who is the godly offspring that God wanted to send? Jesus, the last Adam. To send Jesus, the word, as the last Adam. For the word to become flesh. For for God to come as man. For the son of God to come to the world. He needed to make Adam to be one, just one spirit. So Malachi 2.15 is very important in explaining that there's only one source, one root, one uh, seed came all. Okay, from there came all. All right, so now let's talk about the transmission of the original sin. So uh, I had said we can look at the world in this way, you know, like grapevine. Okay, so the root would be the first atom, and every uh, individual branch would be uh, individual men. Um, so there are 7 billion men living on earth, but how many atoms are there again? One. So one atom, but 7 billion souls, we will call souls, because when we are referring to uh, the person, plus spirit, we call it soul, 
So you can say 7 billion persons or 7 billion souls are, uh, are living in the world, but one spirit, one atom. Do you understand the difference between soul and spirit, right? The reason why I'm using soul, uh, the reason why I try to use person is it's less confusing, right? The person, the function. But when the function is attached to the spirit, we call it soul. So praise the Lord, all my soul, right? So you are using your will, your emotion, your intelligence with your spirit to praise the Lord, right? And after we die, it's the spirit and the person attached, living forever, that would be the soul. So there are 7 billion souls, but only one Adam. Okay? So when Adam sinned, uh, uh, death entered, and death went to everybody. So everybody received the result of Adam's sin. Okay? Now, in understanding how things, uh, since are trans, uh, the original sin is transmitted, one thing that's important is the self-committed sins are not inherited. And this is good news for mothers and fathers. <clears throat> so in Ezekiel 18, uh, it says, you know, fathers don't uh, uh, eat sour grapes and the children's teeth are not, you know, uh, on, are set on edge. You know, your father doesn't eat sour food and your child goes, oh, that's sour. It doesn't work that way. Father is sour, son is sour, separately or not. So if a father sins and because of the sin, the father is cursed, doesn't mean that curse is passed down to his son. Okay? So no matter how wicked your father or your mother might have been, good news, you got nothing to do with that sin because that's their self-committed sin. While the original sin is inevitable, inevitable for all men, Self-committed sin, on the other hand, is evitable. You, are not th- you have nothing to do with your parents' sins or your children have nothing to do with your self-committed uh, sin. Every man is, uh, every individual is responsible for his own sin. Okay? So, uh, you know, that's why some people say, well, that's not fair. I don't know this guy, and why is it that I'm going to go to hell because of this guy? Um, so that because those, those questions can uh, arise, God gave the law. God gave the law to silence every mouth. The law of Moses was given uh, so that men would come under the law and under sin, therefore, Romans 3.19, uh, it says. So after the law came, self-committed sins emerged. You were doing this all along, but once the law came, then it says, you are guilty, you are a sinner. Uh, before you used to talk on the cell phone all the time while you're driving, doing one of these things. Um, but now it's illegal. If you do this, you get a ticket, you get in big, big trouble, right? Uh, before you did it, but without the law, it was not a crime or violation. But once the law comes, then you are subjected to uh, that judgment, that um, violation. So once the law came, all self-committed sins uh, emerged. And again, uh, breaking one commandment, is considered breaking all commandments in James 2, 10 to 11. And Romans 3, 19 to 20 says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced, and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. So you were not conscious of your sin before, but you become conscious of your sin. And not only, not only are we conscious of our self-committed sins, but as Christians, like I said before, now we have the Holy Spirit in us who convicts our hearts. He's the one who's telling us, you shouldn't be doing that, you should be doing that. 
right? So the Holy Spirit is convicting us now under the Christ law, the law of Christ, what Jesus said. So now we don't have to kill people or beat them or, or do horrible things to them to feel guilty. But if we don't do small things, we feel guilty, right? So now the weight of sin becomes greater for Christians in this sense. Everyone at all time is under this judgment of sin. In that sense, the conscience of sin we are dealing with every day. That's what we have to repent, right? Even as a Christian, after you're being born again, you have your sins washed away. You're still dealing with sin and consciousness of sin. So as Christians, we need to repent so that we are no longer guilty, that we don't live with the burden of our sins that we committed today. Yet we do feel guilty. We still break law. We still break the word of God. And that's why we need to repent that we are sinners after all. So once we are sinner, we're always going to be sinner. You know, and we can't take it lightly. And we can't say, well, I was a sinner like you 20 years ago. I was a sinner like you. You can be like me. You know, that's not it. That's not someone who knows what sin is, someone who knows who he really is. I was a sinner then, I'm still a sinner today. And therefore, his grace is greater for me. Therefore, I love him all the more. Therefore, I follow him all the more because I'm a sinner even to this day. Yes, we have been uh, washed away uh, of the sins that will send us to hell. You know, when we receive the blood of Jesus, our spirit is cleansed. So we're not unclean spirits like demons, but we are clean spirits. But then we now have to wash our robes, our bodies, by the word of God. The washing is necessary. So only by the word that comes from the Bible, that comes from the Holy Spirit, that you hear from here, you can wash yourself. How are you going to correct yourself if no one tells you how you should live your life, right? If you hear from the church, from the pulpit, how you should live your life and how you shouldn't live your life, then you can be moved and you decide to live according to that, that you are washing yourself, washing. So Jesus said, if I wash you, Peter said, can I wash, the, can you wash, <laughs> don't wash, he said, don't wash me, and he goes, then wash me the whole, whole body, you know, so Jesus said, you don't, ha- you don't have to, you only need to wash your hands, you know, once you get washed, you only need to wash your hands. So Jesus, when he, dies at the, uh, when he died at the cross, he washed all of us, when that effect is, takes place when we say amen and receive, but we still have the job to wash our hands, wash our feet by the word of God, by the Holy Spirit, so the Holy Spirit helps us to run away from sin, run away from the desires of sin, uh, and confess that we are sinners, so that we trust in the word of God, with First John chapter 1, uh, verse 8 says, you know, if we, are con- we confess our sins, for God is faithful, he will cleanse us, from our unrighteousness. He will forgive us. So we trust in the word of God that he will forgive us till, to, uh, to this day. So we need to not only explain this to other people, but we also need to really be moved by this, that when you talk about sin, you don't talk about it as like, you know, like you're a sinner, right? Like this is what the Bible said. You need to confess you're a sinner. That doesn't move anybody. You have to say in tears, we are all sinners. We're doomed to die. But we got to run the other way. we got to run towards Christ. He's our Savior. He's our Savior. He died to redeem our sins, to forgive us. He is, he is the answer. Jesus is the answer. Amen? Amen? Everyone is subjected to the law. Whether they want it or not, whether they knew it or not, everyone is under the law. So anyone who breaks the law, whether they knew it or not, will pay the consequence of their sin. So that's our job, to remind them the law applies to all men, not just the Jews. 
So let us uh, pray that we can uh, truly live this life, confessing that we are sinners, but to live each and every day to, to no longer sin the same, but to repent and seek his forgiveness and to be able to save one more soul from sin and the price of sin. So let us all pray. Think about how many of men and women commit themselves to some religions, some cause, to keep themselves in purity, to, to vow to celibacy, to be a virgin for the rest of his life or her life, because they think that's how they're going to keep themselves clean and holy. But they have no clue as to what holiness is or cleanliness is. It is the word of God. The, God, the, the, the one who is holy or clean is Jesus, the word of God, the word itself, himself. We need him. We need the washing by his word, by the Holy Spirit, by the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We can wash away our sins. Let us call the name of our Savior, Yeshua. Yeshua, our Lord and our Savior, without you, we are hopeless men. Without you, we would we would have gone to hell, burn in the fire of hell forever and ever for the price of Adam's sin and our own sins. But because you came and called us and then have revealed before us this mystery, the work that you have done at the cross, we have hope today and we are alive today. Even though we are alive by your precious blood and we have been forgiven and been sanctified in our spirit, we still fall and fail you every day with our flesh. We need you. We need you, Jesus. We need your power. We need your strength. We need the power of the blood of Jesus. Help us to wash ourselves. Wash ourselves daily by the word of God and by the help of the Holy Spirit. Resist sin to the point of shedding blood and help us to go out and share this news with one more soul for all, all the, for the world is perishing because they think they're living righteous according to their own conscience, yet they do not know about the sin that is that is living in their spirit therefore their spirit will go and pay the price in second death help us to go out with merciful hearts help us to go out with father's hearts to save one more soul to share with them about sin about the price of sin so that they too may be saved from the fire of hell father bless us with burning hearts bless us with the passion to save one more soul for you have paid the greatest price at the at the cross Help us to go out and make sacrifice and lay down ourselves and, and, and overcome our shame to preach the gospel. We do it all for you, Father. It is for your glory, the glory of your name. We give you thanks for this wonderful, this marvelous teaching that you have given us through our church. Bless our church, bless our leaders, bless our pastors, and bless all of us. And anoint us with greater and deeper understanding of the word, of the gospel, of the will of God. We thank you for everything. In the name Yeshua we pray. Amen.